This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. One of my favorite species of trout to catch here in the U.S. is an invasive species. That's right. Even though you'll find it in almost every state in the continental U.S., it's not native to the U.S. Its heritage is across the Atlantic Ocean. These trout were native to large parts of Europe and Western Asia. We're going to talk about this species today and give you our thoughts about fly fishing these trout. What makes them unique and different? So let's open the envelope and find out what this species is. Here you go, Dave. Drum roll. The species. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. This is bad. All right. Yeah. So the species is brown trout. Yes, brown trout. They are an amazing species of trout. And in a few days, you and I are going to be hopefully catching a few of these. Catching a lot of them. Yeah, That's absolutely. Right. Yes. Well, yes, they are. They are amazing. So let's begin by talking about how they got here. Uh, we've both read a lot about brown trout, but to give credit where credit is due, some of our information comes from a helpful little summary article published in the Amberjack Fishing Journal on August 16, 2016. Uh, the article was by Alex Ford, uh, so no chance we're going to get uh, charged with plagiarism here. No. We've uh, <laughs> revealed our source. Uh, he wrote an article called How Brown Trout Got to America. Uh, nothing you won't read anywhere else, but it was a good little summary. So, Dave, how did they get here? Yeah, it's a good little overview. According to Alex Ford, in the 1800s, Europeans began farming brown trout for food and to support recreational fishing. And so, with the availability of brown trout eggs and fry, that led to the introduction of brown trout in the colonial areas around the world. And so that the Europeans who were living there, they wanted some familiar recreation, so they brought the trout uh, to those well, that's areas. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Bring your trout with you, huh? <laughs> Bring your sport with wow, you. Yeah, that's it. So yeah. it was really during this time period and onwards that brown trout were introduced into the United States, mm -hmm. as well as Australia, New Zealand, India, Patagonia, and also parts of Africa. Wow, that's really amazing when you think about so it. So when did they actually arrive in the U.S.? Well, let's see. They were first introduced to Michigan and New York in 1883 through two fish hatcheries, and they came mainly from a German strain of eggs. Uh, that's why I've heard fly fishers refer to them as German browns. You've heard that too. Oh, yeah, common, we? very so much. I think out in Montana yeah. there were several fly fishers who were saying, hey, let's go after German browns. So I guess the question is, why go to the trouble of transporting them here? I mean, you've got you know, other species of trout you could fish for. Well, you've got the brook trout, you've got the rainbow <clears throat> trout, and also the cuts, right? So yeah. Apparently, and I think this is true from our experience in terms of the streams we fish, they grow faster than do rainbow trout or brook trout, and they can withstand higher water temps. And I think you and I would both say they're more aggressive fighters, too. Wouldn't you say that? I think so. I think that's in true. In fact, I was just thinking mm -hmm. about this, thinking about all the cutthroats that I've caught through the years. Mm -hmm. And the cutthroat are not, I'm not saying are an inferior species, but they... Not at all, but... You're right. I know there is say. there's a sophistication yeah. to the cutthroat, but they are not the fighters that the brown trout yeah, are. Yeah, you're right. I don't know if I notice a difference between browns and rainbows. No, I, as I much, couldn't say but, that. Yeah, but you're right. Between browns and cuts, there's a difference. I would now. say I have caught a lot more bigger brown trout than I have 
either big rainbows or well, big cuts. Last yeah. last fall, you caught a cutthroat that was that 16, 17 inches. That may have been the biggest cutthroat I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, that was a really beautiful fish. I, so I, they must yeah. get big. Oh yeah, they do. I've caught cuts before over twenty inches, but I have never caught one that yeah, big. Yeah, but it's not like I, I, I should. I say, yeah, I've caught cuts before over twenty inches. Yeah, that's as in two of them maybe. Well, and but, it, partly it's where you're fishing. Right. Where I've caught cutthroat are the high mountain lakes, so yeah, you just don't have the right, food to go no. that big up there. Yeah, that's true. So what? do we like about brown trout well they make fall fishing in the yellowstone region a lot of fun since they're running up the streams and the smaller rivers to spawn in fact they call them runners you know we're sitting here today at dave's uh house in dave's uh, mansion that's right here in wheaton <laughs> yeah looking at some mansions some of yeah. these tear downs in your neighborhood dave has a really nice uh, ranch style house on ranch road but uh yeah. yeah, that's another story, yeah, isn't it? All the exactly. teardowns. But, you know, we're looking out, seeing the fall colors. Uh, this is uh, mid-October. Uh, by the time you know, we publish this episode, uh, we'll have returned from our, our trip to the west in the Yellowstone region. But uh, we're, we're going out, to, in large part, to fish for runners. And uh, these brown trout are, are spawning in the fall. Now, most rivers are closed for the actual spawn. Uh, Yellowstone National Park, for example, closes in November. So, you know, we're fishing uh, for runners that are that are running. They're still moving upstream. Yeah, they're still moving upstream. They're, you know, I'm sure there's some spawning activity, but it's not happening in earnest like it will. Uh, still, it's important to stay off the reds if, if you see them. But that's one of the things we love about browns. It, it does add a, a really wonderful wrinkle to your fall fly fishing. Well, I know both on the Minnesota side and the Wisconsin side mm. in the Driftless, they also shut down the fishing. That's right, um, yeah. And there's a window in which they shut it down. I think it picks up again. I think it closes October 15th on the Minnesota side, picks up again January 1st. Okay, So yeah. uh, there's definitely a window which they mm-hmm. shut down to protect the browns. Sure. I think the Jefferson River in Montana gets shut down pretty early, and I can't remember exactly when. That's that's a little west of where we usually fish in the Gallatin Valley. But, yeah, kind of the same thing. But it, it is a lot of fun to... Uh, to fish for those runners, you, you get bigger fish than you, yeah, you, you do other do. times of the year. So what else, Dave? Well, I think the fact that they are so aggressive makes for uh, really fun streamer fishing. <laughs> it does. Uh, the big browns feed on smaller fish, so that's why your fly box, or should, <laughs> that's why your fly box has all the streamers, yeah, or should right. have streamers in it. And I wrote, recently wrote a piece on our website about the importance of uh, new fishers, new fly fishers, getting early success, having early success. And one of the hard things is that most often new fly fishers learn to dry fly fish first. Mm-hmm. And and so you just typically have a harder time catching fish early on. I think if I were recommending anything to new fly fishers, it would be learn to streamer fish right away on a parallel path with your dry fly fishing because you'll catch, start to catch fish and that kind of feeds your interest in the sport. And when they attack, it, it is a blast. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. We, we love dry fly fishing because you see the, the fish uh, take your fly and, and that has its own thrill. But sometimes we think well everything underwater it's not quite as exciting well honestly with nymphing you are watching your strike indicator and and i know there's a few guys i have a friend in montana named stan who's so good that uh, he 
I mean, he just fishes by feel. He doesn't use a strike indicator when he's nymphing, but I can't do that. I, uh, I don't feel it. I, I see the, the, the bobber uh, that uh, strike that, that is the strike indicator. Let's be sophisticated. <laughs> I see that disappear, and then I set the hook, and, hey, I got one on, and that, that's fun. But, man, when you are stripping a streamer, you feel that attack. Yeah, it really as is soon a as blast. it hits it. So what do we love about browns? Well, it makes fall fly fishing fun when they're on the move. We've got the, uh, the aggressive aggression. streamer thing. Um, you know, what else, Dave? Well, I, I think we should also point out that these are, quote, wild fish, yeah. unquote, even though they are not native. So right. we did a podcast on the difference between native and wild fish. Native mm-hmm. fish are those that originate in the United States in the waters uh, in which they inhabit and Obviously, cutthroat do in the West, brook trout do in the Eastern United States, uh, rainbows as well. But the, simply, the German Browns or the brown trout were introduced, so they are not they are not native in a sense. They're they're an invasive species right. in that sense. Yeah, and when I said that at the beginning, I was kind of doing the journalistic thing. You know that that's the way to set it up and make dramatize it, but. We, but they are wild. They are, right. We, yeah, don't, yeah. we don't think of them as an invasive species. They're wild in that they're yeah. reproducing now in the streams. I exactly. know, like we fish in the Driftless, and you can't catch a a, a wild rainbow yeah. trout to catch, to save your life, yep, right? I know it. Because know. they don't reproduce. They don't, they're not in most streams in the in the Driftless. Not, I think there are a few that they may, but the mm-hmm. rainbows simply haven't figured out how to reproduce and, and, yep. and survive. Now, yeah. Boy, the Browns have certainly done a great job in in the Driftless and elsewhere yeah. in the rest of the world. But uh, they have. So, I would say uh, you know they are wild fish. Yeah, and, right. Uh, the fact that they're not native, yeah, or they're that, not that native, we yep. kind of tongue in cheek call them invasive species is is no uh, dig. You know, right? Exactly. We're so, not judgmental. No, against that's them. right. Yeah, we're not, just not real. We're dealing with trout fishing, not at <laughs> all. So yeah, just for fun, what what are some of the great experiences? Where are some of the great experiences that you had fly fishing for browns? So I've caught a lot of browns in the driftless. They're not as big. Now they probably are mm-hmm. as big. I just haven't caught the big ones in, in the driftless. Maybe the yeah. biggest one I've caught there is 17, 18 inches. Mm-hmm. But in the west, probably I've it's probably been 21, 22 inches. Mm-hmm. I, there are some big fish out oh, there. I there mean, are. I know guys that catch them regularly. The locals out there, 25, 26 mm-hmm. inches, especially on the Missouri. Yeah. Um, so we just had so many great days. I remember one day on the Blue River that you and I were mm-hmm. actually. I was fishing with my nephew, and I caught this huge, huge brown. For the Driftless, the stream yeah. was so small. It was a 17-inch brown. It was the biggest fish I'd caught on that river ever. And, wow. you know, the way it hits and the fight and the rolls, it's just amazing. It's just, wow. and it was a, actually, I was drifting a woolly bugger and dropping mm-hmm. a San Juan worm, and it hit the San Juan worm. Oh, <laughs> man. So. Well, the biggest brown I've ever caught, really the biggest trout I've ever caught was, uh, uh, was out of the Missouri River, kind of down in what they call the Craig section, down below Wolf Creek. Oh, yeah. yeah I yeah, was yeah. Uh, floating that one day with our friend Doug. This is years ago, back in the late 80s and or early 90s, and uh, on a, just stripping streamers in, in a fall day. And, uh, boy, just pulled in a big hog. I think it was about 23 inches or so. 
um, amazingly, it hasn't grown since I've caught it. I, you know, I, <laughs> you'd think by now it'd be 26 or 27, but yeah, just exactly. like in 1989, it's still 23 <laughs> inches. You know, I've caught them in the Gallatin River. It's kind of funny there. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the browns you catch in the Gallatin, especially the further up you you get um, there, uh, yeah, further up you get towards the the canyon. You know, on Ted Turner's property, there you, you catch some snakes. What what they yeah. call them? Eight, you know, eighteen, nineteen inches, but they're uh, they're long and skinny. And man, we we've hit them in the Yellowstone River and Paradise Valley, the Lower Madison. Remember the day we had a few years ago floating that with Toby? Oh man, yep. Some b- nice big browns. I I remember catching that humpy. one. Remember yeah, that it was humpy? Like Seventeen inches, but. Oh my goodness! It was like a football, and it had this big hump in its back. <clears throat> yeah, it looked like it. the humpback brown. So yeah. I guess the point of all this is there's a lot of places where you can catch browns, and we we have some tremendous memories. I guess what we have to ask though is, are there any downsides to brown trout? Alex Ford in the Amber Jack Journal he talks about that brown trout can put serious stress on the indigenous populations. Uh, they tend to be brown trout tend to grow faster, be more aggressive than rainbow trout and brook trout, and so there's this thinking that they outcompete rainbows and brook trout for limited resources. Yeah, we, we've seen evidence of that. Oh yeah, we? and the yeah. little Jordan. Uh, That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's right. We were told, uh, kind of led to believe, just some reading we had done, what we heard about it. Yeah, this is a great little brook trout stream. And and it's not that we were disappointed, but I was surprised we fished the little Jordan in the. Did you even catch any brook trout? I don't think maybe one small one, but they were all browns. They were all brown trout. They yeah, they can browns. overtake a stream. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Something else too that's an issue when you, when you listen to uh, you know fish biologists talk is is hybridization between browns and brookies. Uh, they're both false spawners. That that's an issue. Uh, though I have to say, catching a tiger trout is is pretty cool. That's a cross between the two. I've I've, I've never done that. I'm uh, sorry, a tiger trout. Yeah, being a cross between a brown and a brookie, and I've never done that. But Dave, you did. Yeah, uh, recently. just this last summer. Yeah, on the little Jordan, I could not believe I did not take a picture. I was not. Yeah. I was like, what was I thinking? Yep. I was thinking about moving on to the next run, or I think there was that dog. We I were think fighting. the dog was. Oh, uh, there was this dog. Us. Yeah, we yes. we talked about that, but yeah, it was highly depressing. But yeah. Um, yeah, the tiger trout. Well, they and they can get some. There are some big yeah. tiger trout. I'm on Instagram with two guys in a river, and every so often someone will pick uh, show a pic of a tiger trout, and often they're huge. And once they get that big, the the pattern on them is just amazing. It really is. The colors yeah, and the they're, pattern. They're kind of a freak, aren't they? They are a freak. Yeah, yeah they really are. And they're, they're almost, sterile. So yeah, that's, just like the donkey, right? Yeah, that's right. So the donkey's that's, a cross between a mule and a horse, right? Yeah, yeah that's so. kind of the downside. Yeah, the downside yeah. of hybridization. So how do you feel about when when the DNR and the biologists actually kill brown trout to try to return some of these streams to their indigenous populations? Yeah, browns and even brookies. You know, I I have to say that I'm open to it on a limited basis, but I, I wouldn't want to see this fish completely go away. And I, I realize there are places in Rocky Mountain National Park where I used to fish uh, in the Moraine River. Is it's but before it comes down into uh, the kind of Mora- what's called Moraine Park, you know, and it, it's still up in the the, the timber and and up in the 
kind of a canyon as you're, you're hiking up that. I, I used to catch some nice browns. Well, they killed all those and, and reintroduced the greenback cutthroat. And, and I don't feel bad about that because that was a, a native fish that got crowded out. You know, at the same time, I would hate to see them do that. And, and I, I know it's not going to happen in, in other places, but it, it's one of those tensions. I mean, as you said before, these fish put a serious stress on indigenous populations they they're aggressive they you know just their feeding patterns that the other fish not that they all get eaten up but they get crowded out so yeah I, I guess I'm open to that in certain strategic areas as long as it's not overdone there was that piece that you wrote on uh, our website the post about what Idaho biologists found in brown yeah. trout bellies mm-hmm. I think the assumption of that study was that brown trout were actually eating some of the the rainbow fry, right. weren't they? Wasn't and they that only, the assumption? Right. Not of a couple hundred samples, they only found two that had been eaten. And that's not necessarily unique because brown trout prey on smaller fish, even small brown trout. So uh, really if that what that showed, if, if anything, is is that, you know, their their diet is not just eating wasn't it caddis and stoneflies, the two things that they were yeah, filled with? Yeah, they, they were right. A lot of those little leeches, you know, the typical stuff you'd expect. And yes, some smaller fish, but not as many as as they would have anticipated. That's an interesting topic. I would sure hate for, yeah, I mean, just try to think if what it would do to the Minnesota driftless if they <laughs> yeah, exactly. They got rid of all the brown trout to get rid of all the fishing. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very true. And some of those big western rivers that have browns in them... Uh, Boy, it's, it's just great fishing. You wouldn't want to see that go away. You wouldn't want them to take all those out of the Madison River, you know, as it, as it comes out of Hebgen Lake and, and, or, or out of Yellowstone National Park and into Hebgen Lake. That would, be, uh, that would be really sad. And thankfully, we don't want to hear anything like that. But it is one of those issues. I'm really interested to see what happens in, in the next decade because... Uh, if you have some fisheries, some waters where the browns continue to crowd out uh, native indigenous species, you know, what's going to happen? Well, here's a final question for uh, today. Dave, is there any need for adjustments or changes in technique? In other words, uh, you're, you're fishing for rainbows today. Tomorrow you're going to fish somewhere for browns. You have to make changes. Well, yes and no. I'm not sure I'm sophisticated enough to answer that question uh, definitely big browns tend to be nocturnal. Right. And as we've already yeah. pointed out, streamers can work well for fish that tend to prey on smaller mm-hmm. fish. Back yeah. to the nocturnal issue, often when you see these pictures of of these fly fishers or fishers cat- catching large brown trout. The big hogs. The big hogs. Yeah. They're like, it's like 1130 at night that or 430 yeah. in the morning. Right. And you don't hear anybody doing that for rainbows. Man, we got to go out you know, midnight to catch these big rainbows or these big cuts, but that's what you do with browns. So, yeah, there's a yeah. big difference. I, yeah. I remember, I think it was Gary Borger talking about fishing on the streams on the East Coast where there's a 24-7 midge hatch going on. There's a lot of food in some of these waters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of these big fish just aren't going to start moving until it's pitch black. Yeah. Out, you know? mm-hmm. And wasn't it last summer or two summers ago you were out in Rocky Mountain National Park yeah, and right at dusk, right at you started dusk. getting some right. nice hits on. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, they were rising to yep. to caddis, and or they something. were all browns. Yeah. Yep. They were all browns, every yeah, one of sure. them. So yeah, that, that's a difference. They're nocturnal, but then again, we 
you know, we all catch, you know, we catch all species of trout on streamers. And I guess you could say we get browns on the very same patterns we use as anything else. So, you know, we wouldn't want any new fly fishers to think, oh boy, when you go after browns, that they're just a different yeah. animal. Well, no, not, not really. Not really. The, a trout is a trout is a trout, but... Yeah, that nocturnal piece is there. Like you said earlier, Dave, they they do tend to be fighters in ways that, that especially cuts aren't aren't going to be and uh, and probably brook trout either. I would right, say. that's probably true. I'm gonna, somebody's going to rip us on this, but yeah, I think that's I think true. It, yeah, depending on where you fish. Yeah, you know that that could be an. And maybe that's just in function of size. With brook trout, you only catch a certain size, and yeah, at least yeah. out west. I, I know back in some of those uh, lakes and places in in maine you you get some huge brookies but yeah for the most part where we fish in the midwest and the west uh except for i remember upper two medicine and glacier national park we were one year we were catching some uh you know 18 inch brookies that's, really that's, that's a big fish oh my yeah. gosh that's huge yeah they had uh well, my dad and grandpa had fished that years before and and that was back when you know they were yeah, we were keeping them and eating them, and there's nothing better than brookies. So they brought back their limit of 10 or 12 brookies. They were all 10 to 12 inches, which is a big brookie yeah, usually. Yeah, that is. And then we went back, you know, probably a decade or 12 years later and went up there. We didn't catch as many, but all the ones we got were 16 to 18 inches. It was Man, crazy. I have never caught a brook no. trout that big. And that's a while that's a high mountain lake, it's it's maybe not as high as, as some, and I think there's a lot of feed in that lake, so they were able yeah. to grow big. Well, hey, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Uh, love this uh, uh, post from Richard. Richard writes, I just finished listening to your podcast, One Fine Day on Elk Creek near Augusta, Montana. It brought back some wonderful memories from 1968 when I was a young USAF, that's the United States Air Force Airman, Stationed at Malmstrom Air Force Base in Great Falls. Oh man! Remember that? I, yeah. I hadn't heard that phrase, Malmstrom. Mal, we, Malmstrom. Yeah. We went bowling there once. Remember with a guy whose dad was uh, uh, in the Air Force. I do Jeff, not. I or, do not remember or that. Or maybe it was. I mean, it was just me. Who knows? You were doing something else. But anyway, I digress. So Richard goes on and he says. I worked on the Minuteman missile out at the unmanned missile sites. Wow. Man, we've seen a lot of those oh, if you're out in, in that area, central Montana. Anyway, he says, I, uh, these sites stretched all the way from Grass Range on the east to Shelby on the north to Augusta on the west and Kings Hill on the south. Wow, I, those, that's bringing back memories. Oh, my. I got to explore all that country from the cab of a blue USAF pickup while doing my job. It was one such dispatch close to Augusta that I first saw Elk Creek. Oh, that's I, awesome. Yeah, I immediately fell in love with the place. I returned on my next day off in, and this gets even better, in my 68 Chevy Supersport 396. It's got to be a Chevelle Supersport. <laughs> Got permission from a landowner to fish who insisted that I first come in for a cup of coffee. Man, that is so... Uh, ranch life in Montana, isn't it? That's old world, oh, isn't it? It's great. As opposed to coming up the door with a shotgun trying to get you off their yeah, land, no right? No kidding. I know it. Richard goes on and says, It was a wonderful day, and I caught and released a number of, or a large number of mostly small, beautiful trout. 
I did keep a couple to give to the landowner as a thank you for my wonderful experience. And, and that's, you know what, Landos, landowners often appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if, if you do that. Uh, I also hiked a trail along uh, Gibson Dam up to fish the Sun River, <sighs> where the north and south forks converge with a dear old uh, United States Air Force buddy. Although I am 70 years old now, I still return to Montana a few times during the summer, but mostly fish the Madison River area and Yellowstone National Park. Montana is still God's country to me. Thanks for the great memory. Man, thank you oh, for the yeah, great no memory. No kidding. Thank you, Richard. There was, that was wonderful. Man, Ooh. the Sun River, the, some oh, of these phrases. I know. Gibson Dam. Oh, man. man, been there. That is just gorgeous country, isn't ah, it? It really is. Yeah, it brings back a lot of, a lot of memories. Well, that's going to do it for today. What thoughts do you have about brown trout? Please go to twoguysintheriver.com and comment on this podcast link. Tell us about your experiences fly fishing for brown trout. You can find Two Guys in a River pretty much everywhere, certainly on all the social platforms. We publish one new episode each week on our website. And as I've mentioned previously, we've received so many great notes from you thanking us for the podcast, asking what you can do. And we simply say the best thing you can do is simply refer the podcast to your TU chapter, your fishing club, your son, your daughter, your friend. That actually is the best way uh, that helps us grow. So thank you very much. And if you also wanted at some point to... Uh, notify your fly shop owner and ask if he or she would be interested in in selling our book. Just reach out to us on the social platforms and we could make that happen. We give them book. We have a book. Oh yeah, the Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. Life is short. Catch more fish. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Actually, you know, I've seen some of the, uh, the 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 reviews on Amazon, and I have to say, I. I, made me happy. Yeah, thank you. You've been yeah, very made kind. Made me really happy. So, well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson, and I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are two guys in a river for the love of brown trout fly fishing. Yes. Mm-hmm.